0: This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. This morning I want to continue our Box It series on questioning our assumptions. And today I want to talk about bias. Now this week I learned about confirmation bias. Anyone know anything about confirmation bias? I don't know about you, but now I see it everywhere. (laughs) No, you didn't get that, did you? (laughs) I should leave one-liners like that to Tim Vine, I think. Just think about that for a minute. Confirmation bias, see it everywhere? No, no, it doesn't matter. Well, the truth is, is that we do all have our biases, Right. Are you biased? I'm biased. I'm biased a lot. I wanted to share with you this morning some of my biases. Now, it's a bit bit of a tricky thing, because we don't like doing this, do we? We like to kind of keep our biases to ourselves and hope that people don't see them. But I want to share some of my biases with you this morning. Is that all right? And then maybe you share yours with me? <laughs> maybe not. Well, here's, my, here's some biases. I have a political bias. Okay, I tend to vote for the party that occupies the center ground. So in my lifetime I have voted uh, red, blue, green and yellow. Anyone else? Anyone else like that? Um, I'd just like people to get along, frankly. I, I, vote against, I voted against leaving the EU because I just wanted us to get along with our European neighbours. Um, uh, I'm part of Generation X. Admittedly, the tail end of Generation X. Um, the MTV generation. Uh, we're in our 40s now. and uh, Apparently, we are characterised by being active, happy, Entrepreneurial and achieving and wanting a work-life balance. Anyone else notice that about themselves? You're probably all looking at me, going, "I am so much younger than you." <laughs> but that's 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 my generation. Um, I'm I'm male, as you might notice, but. I am also a bit of a feminist. Uh, I grew up surrounded by amazing women I've got two sisters I've got five female cousins, two male cousins I've got two influential female grandmothers who kind of really influenced my life. My mother was a big influence on my. Life. I have an amazing wife have an amazing daughter I'm a bit of a feminist. I believe in women 's rights and um, and I, and I think that we've got a long way to go as a society uh, towards restoring women 's rights and in, and bring bringing it to a place where women can walk down the street and not feel scared of being attacked and where women are paid the same salaries as men for doing the same job and where women are treated as equals in our society because that doesn't happen enough. Even here on our stage, right, I'm speaking now, I did the majority of the speaking here at seven. That's gonna change. We're gonna see 50% of the speakers, that's our goal, female here at seven. And we're gonna make that happen in the next year because we are passionate about women's rights. And uh, you know, I'm I'm someone who likes to challenge convention. Um, I prefer to ask the question "why" rather than "what", "when", or "how". Some of you all know that about me. Um, I want to be honest with you. I know many people have written to me telling me that they're deconstructing their faith at the moment. They're asking questions about what it means to have faith in God. I want to say to you one of my biases: I've been deconstructing my faith since I, since I was a student. Like I've, I've deconstructed my faith, I've reconstructed my faith, I've deconstructed my faith, I've reconstructed my faith. This has been a rhythm right through my life because I like to ask the question why. and Some of you too will always want to ask the question why. And, uh, and you know, I can't abide rules for rules sake. So um, don't ask me to do something I don't understand why I should do it. Is anyone else like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm being honest and vulnerable here. Some of you are going, oh, I'm not sure I like this guy anymore. I, I believe in rights and responsibilities. I believe in yes, we have rights but we also have responsibilities. I believe in living sustainably. Um, but I'm rubbish at it. Um, just I've got two cars, you know, uh, <laughs> one of them's a diesel car, you know, it's just let's just the start, you know, we eat meat with every meal. We were discussing this the other day. You know, we're not living necessarily sustainably, but I do think is something that we need to be doing. Um, I love diversity and inclusion. I hate prejudice when I see it. I hate injustice. And, you know, I'm most frustrated with myself because I realise how prejudiced I am. And, uh, and one of the challenges for me in my life is to address my own prejudices and behaviour towards other people. And it's usually when I'm annoyed about something and I start treating someone differently and I identify something about them that, that you know, is obvious and then I use that to justify why I might not like them. We all have prejudice in our lives, and I'm, I'm probably at the top of the list of that. But what about you? Those are some of my biases. What about your biases? What biases do you have? Have you ever thought about that? Or have you always thought that you see the world as it is? You see the world as it really is. You have no bias. You have no lens that you look at life uh, that, is, uh, that is unique to you. Here's the thing. I want to argue today that there is no such thing as a bias free position we all look at the at the world that we we live in through the lenses that we've been given the lenses that we've received the experience of life and uh, and of course the biases that we have create different perspectives which is a bit of a problem sometimes because many people fervently believe that they are right and that they have the truth when i have an argument with claire which we, we do have from time to time. We had one yesterday. She thinks she's right and I think I'm right. And until we've worked out how we can get forwards with this, uh, we, we, we will have a bit of an issue between us and then we have to try and resolve it. Like, that's the nature of arguments, isn't it? I think I'm right, you think you're right, so how do we resolve this? Um, but that's true not just in marriages and in friendships, it's true in every sector of society. So, take any example of debate, a political or cultural debate, you will find at least two people with diametrically opposed views, both claiming that they have the truth. You only have to listen to the news every night to see that. And that, of course, becomes a bigger problem when people claim that God is on their side. Am I right? Look at the situation in the USA at the moment 65% of American people identify as Christian. But I ask you, what kind of Christian? People who claim to identify with Jesus hold diametrically opposed views on abortion, on sexuality, on gun laws, on gender, on race, on wealth, on climate change. You know, I am not sure that those Christians who disagree with each other could stand in a room like they did today, like we've done today, and sing hymns together. Because they both, groups, think that they are right, that they think God is on their side. So we all have our own biases. Even those of us who claim to worship the same God and believe the same gospel. So, what does that mean? How do, we, how do we deal with this? Because each of us brings our own biases to our faith in God and the way we interpret the Bible. You will do the same. Uh, whilst, when I was 18, some of my biases, when I was 18 years old, I, I went to university. I was down in Plymouth. Um, uh, met a great bunch of Christian students who invited me to the Christian Union and uh, if anybody knows anything about the christian unions in our university campuses they know that they are largely conservative evangelical organisations that uh, that you know for me i learned the value of interpreting the bible within the context in which it was originally written that's that's one of the really key tenets of evangelicalism it's about understanding the bible in the context in which it was written and uh, ever since uh, ever since then i've always sought to try and understand it more um Another, another bias I inherited from the Vineyard Church, been part of the Vineyard Church 25 years now. As long as Claire and I have been married, we've been part of the Vineyard Church. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely influenced our lives, is not it? Um, and um, uh, one of the things, forgot I'm bad, uh, one of the things that I've learned from being in the Vineyard is the power of engaging with the Holy Spirit. You saw it there, Kevin was uh, leading us in, in prayer there and, and Claire was leading us in prayer, just inviting the Holy Spirit to touch our lives in a real profound and, and, and physical way. And, and it's one of the things that we have learned, one of our biases that we've learned in the vineyard. Um, third one, I'm sceptical of anyone who claims to be a Christian but does not have love and compassion. I, I, I don't understand that. Um, I don't understand people, that, Christians that say they don't have love and compassion for people who are marginalised and vulnerable in society. To me, if you read Jesus... I don't see how you could come to any other conclusion. Um, in the last three years, um, the fourth one is I've become convinced that our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health. Okay, so your spiritual health, my spiritual health, will never outpace our emotional health. And when it does, when, when, we, when, we, when we try to be more spiritual than we are emotionally healthy, you get religion you're doing things for the sake of it and Jesus criticized the Pharisees if you remember for doing this and he said you like whitewashed tombs you know you're all pristine on the outside but on the inside you're like full of dead bones Jesus is much more severe than me in his language and uh, and so for me I do believe that our spiritual health cannot outpace our emotional health now I base that very much on Jesus's words to the Pharisees so those are some of my biases what are some of your biases what do you bring To your faith? What biases shape your perspective on God? What biases shape your perspective of the scriptures? Because I doubt very much that you are able to claim that your biases are non existent. We all bring our biases to our faith and our understanding of God. So, um, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that we need to understand Jesus's biases. We were let's, let's look at the, the accounts of Jesus' life and see if we can identify some of the biases that Jesus has had. Because actually, I think in terms of understanding our faith in God and in understanding the Bible, if we start to understand how Jesus dealt with it, then we might actually be able to use some of that in our own lives. Now, I want to be clear that um, as a Jew, and Jesus was a Jew, uh, the only Bible that he would have dealt with is what we call the Hebrew Bible. Um, it was in, in Greek, it's called the Septuagint, um, which refers to the 70 independent authors who translated the old Hebrew Bible into Greek. Uh, but that's a bit of a myth in Jewish history, but nonetheless, that's why it's called the Septuagint. And um, so what, what, that really, what that really compares to is our Old Testament. It's very, very similar to our Old Testament. So the question I want to ask this morning is, how did Jesus deal with the Old Testament? Now, Richard Rohr, who wrote in a book called What Do We Do With the Bible, writes this, that Jesus was anything but a fundamentalist or a legalist. This is not hard to demonstrate. In fact, it is culpable ignorance to not see it now. Such constant daring is surely what got Jesus killed by the priests, the scribes, and the teachers of the law. So let's talk about uh, some of the biases we might be able to identify in the accounts of Jesus' life. So the first one is that Jesus seemed to have little regard for sacred laws and taboos. He seemed to pick and choose the laws of Moses that he would obey and the ones that he wouldn't. For example, he largely ignores the law about not working on the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is this idea of having a day off, uh, a day set aside as, as kind of holy. Um, and for the Jews, uh, some, some Jews would say you shouldn't do literally anything. I mean, even standing here on a stage would be breaking the Sabbath. Um, and we've got an account of this in Mark 2, 28. So if you've got a Bible or you've got your Bible app, do pull it up. I'm going to read this one together. Mark two twenty three twenty eight. 28. Uh, one Sabbath, uh, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, I might add, with a slightly obscure story, um, even to his heroes. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were, un- were hungry and in need? And I can imagine the Pharisees are going, where's he going with this? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, Jesus said, he entered the house, that is David, the house of God, and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is not defending his own behaviour here. He's defending the behaviour of his disciples. And they're just picking grain and eating it, which apparently was against the law. Uh, And and so he takes this really obscure story uh, where King David, a thousand years before in, in Jewish history, takes the consecrated bread from the temple and from the priest and gives it to his army who are hungry. Now Jesus knows full well this will really provoke the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are asking him this question. So he knows that it's going to provoke them and he does it deliberately to double down on his point that the Sabbath was made for man and woman, not woman and man made for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is for our rest. Uh, It's not a badge of religious identity. This is what Jesus is doing. He's making a point here. Somehow Jesus seemed to get the stream and the direction of the law. He understood what it was about second uh, second bias we observe i want to suggest to you is that jesus didn't use the bible to assert his authority that sounds outrageous doesn't it jesus didn't use the bible to assert his authority what does that mean well unlike the other jewish rabbis who quoted the bible routinely to assert their authority it's a bit like a lawyer will use case law In such and such a case, previously, this was the outcome of that decision. So therefore, in this situation, the same applies. That's what we call legal case law, or common law in in, in England. And um, uh, the Jewish rabbis did the same thing. They would, to assert their own authority, they would say, I'm saying this on the basis of what was said previously. And they would quote the scriptures to do that. But Jesus rarely did that. Rarely did that. In fact, it's one of the reasons why the teachers of the law and the Pharisees got so mad with him. I mean, I mean... I mean, they just weren't having an argument. Let's not forget where this ended up. It ended up on a Roman cross, okay? And those guys had something to do with getting him on the cross. So this was not a small deal. Jesus was provoking them, um, and uh, partly because he never never really used the scriptures to assert his own authority. In fact, he was regularly challenged to justify where his authority came from. Matthew 21, verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked? And who gave you this authority? You could go through the accounts of Jesus' life, you'll see more than one occasion where that happens. See, Jesus didn't base his authority to teach by quoting the Bible and other teachers, because he simply assumed his own authority. He was the authority. And he seemed to draw on his own experience of God and his own experience of life. So, Take Jesus' uh, stories. I mean, like honestly, like if I asked you like, to name some of Jesus's teaching, you would you think of a story right, or a parable, same word by the way. Uh, so let, 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 let's think about that. The, the stories that he told there they were metaphors drawn from everyday life. good trees that bear good fruit and bad trees that bear bad fruit, um, stories of farmers sowing seed uh, in different types of ground surely an everyday occurrence, right? Uh, The story of the wasteful son greedily claiming his inheritance before his father's died. Maybe Jesus saw a kid do that. Maybe one of his contemporaries did that. And he took it as a story to demonstrate who God is and what God is like. Uh, The Good Samaritan, that's a story based on the road uh, that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It literally is from the Judean hills down uh, to the Dead Sea Valley, the River River Jordan. Jericho is on the plain there. There's, There's a dangerous road. Jesus knew it was a dangerous road. It was where you might get attacked by bandits and robbers. So he takes that as an example and teaches from it about uh, who, really, who really expresses love. Have a look at that story called The Good Samaritan if you don't know it. Uh, third, third bias. Uh, so that one, Jesus didn't use the Bible to assert his authority all the time. Third one, Jesus sometimes uses what appears to be non-Jewish sources for his teaching. Anyone ever read the story about the rich man and Lazarus? Have you ever read that story and thought, that is a weird story? Like, Jesus, where did you get that from? Well, you're not alone in that. That is not a Jewish story. That apparently is a pagan folk story that Jesus uses. Actually, it's totally unique to the Bible and and doesn't necessarily fit with the theology of the Jews either. It's a bit weird. Especially, why did it get into the account of Jesus' life? It's a weird story. And and have a read of it. You won't hear many people preaching on that story. Fourthly, Jesus was selective about what he quoted from the Old Testament. Um, You'll have to do your homework on this one to to check this out. But basically, he seems to ignore 19 of the 51 books which form what we would call the Old Testament. 19 of them. Um, And he seems to favour certain certain books, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Hosea and Psalms. Maybe it was just the books that he knew really well. I don't know, but maybe not. Um, If we examine what Jesus ignores... This is really profound. If we examine what Jesus ignores, he seems to ignore passages that appear to legitimise violence, imperialism, exclusion, purity and dietary laws, of which there are many. Really interesting. Really interesting. Take the rule book of Leviticus. I mean, has anybody read Leviticus? It's not not much of a read, to be honest with you. Uh, It's kind of like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Don't do this. I mean, it's literally just a list of don'ts. Um, and the one, I, the one positive rule, sorry, the one thing that Jesus quotes from Leviticus is the one, the one positive rule in the whole list of Leviticus, and it's in Leviticus 19.18. This is what Jesus quotes. And bear in mind, many Christians are fond of quoting Leviticus to justify their opposition to homosexuality. But Jesus chooses one verse from Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18. Do not... Seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone amongst your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the one that Jesus picks from Leviticus. He's selective. He doesn't quote it all. Uh, Fifth bias. Uh, Jesus sometimes changed or reinterpreted the law. In Matthew 5, 21 to 48, which you all know is the famous Sermon on the Mount, uh, six times, Six times Jesus reinterprets laws about murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, revenge, and forgiveness. And there's this common refrain in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll know it if you know your Bible. You'll know it. You have heard me said. You, sorry, you have heard it said. But I say to you, I mean, what is that if it's not a correction, or a development, or a reinterpretation? Uh, so uh, Matthew five twenty one. You have heard it said that to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's part of Mosaic uh, law. 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I mean, Jesus kind of goes, this is where the law is, and now I'm just going to take it to a whole new level. So Jesus sometimes uh, changed the law, reinterpreted it. He, He actually even... He even substituted the legal commandment. So for example, in Mark 10:17, Jesus is asked by a rich young man what he must do to inherit eternal life. How many of you have asked that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and he says to him, um, well, you should obey the Ten Commandments and the whole of Mosaic law. And uh, the rich man, young man says, yes, that's what I've done, I've done that. And, and Jesus uh, looks at him and it, and it says, Jesus looked at him. And I can just imagine him smiling at him and going, I love you. I love your heart. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he says to him, he says, what you really need to do is, obeying the law is not enough. What you really need to do is sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. Now, I don't see that in the Ten Commandments. right? What Jesus does is he takes it to another level. See, he knew that this man's problem wasn't his lack of religious piety. There was plenty of pious religious Jews in Jesus' time. What he understood, though, what it wasn't his lack of religious piety; it was his lack of generosity. Jesus saw to the heart of the issue. Jesus understood that the law was not just about the letter; it was also about the spirit as well. Sixth bias: Jesus ignored troublesome verses that did not fit his message. You probably want to throw something at me, some of you, at the moment. So if you're at home, you're probably throwing something at your TV screen. How dare you say that, you heretic? Okay, let's have a look. Jesus ignores some troublesome verses that did not fit his message. So Jesus gets baptised by John, the Baptist, and uh, he spends 40 days in the wilderness. And by the way, we're going to talk about times in Jesus' life where we think he might have doubted God. Okay, and we'll we'll come back to this at another time. Um, Because I want to show you that doubting is a normal part of everyday life. Um, a normal part of our faith. So anyway, he spends forty days in the wilderness, and he returns to his hometown in Nazareth to begin his public ministry. And this is what it says in Luke four sixteen to twenty one. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why were they fastened on him? Well, they probably had heard about this man, this boy who'd grown up in their village. But they may have also been glaring at him because Jesus cut off the end of the Isaiah verse. Because this is what it actually says. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and this is the bit that Jesus missed out, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Why didn't Jesus mention that? Why didn't Jesus mention that he was here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of the vengeance of our God? I don't know. Why didn't he do that? But what I do know is that some evangelicals would call that using the Bible selectively. You know, you're trying to make a point, so you leave out a verse. You leave out an unfortunate kind of phrase in that verse. The point is, is that we don't know why he left it out, but he did. Bias seven. Uh, There's only one more after this. Jesus consistently includes the outsider in his teaching and social circle. Well over 60% of Jesus' stories make the outsider the hero of the story, whilst criticising the insider. Think of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the tax collectors, Levi and Zacchaeus, the Samaritan woman at the well, the lepers, the prostitutes, the dead, the demon-possessed. Jesus made those people the heroes of the story. He made those people the clean, the honourable, the worthy, the righteous with God. Whereas he, 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 he actually he made all the religious people who thought they were right with God, unright with God. Generally speaking... Jesus makes use of the Old Testament to teach a message of radical inclusivity, mercy and justice to counter the culture of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the priests, a culture of exclusion, impurity and sinfulness. Jesus was the opposite. His message was radical inclusivity, mercy and justice. And that brings us on to our final bias that we can observe from Jesus. And there may be more. Jesus considered justice, mercy, and faith to be a higher priority than the religious laws. Warning the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, he says this to them in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three: Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. It seems that Jesus uh, didn't regard the Bible uniformly. Tithing their spices, by which you should know that spices were very expensive. Like it's not like a bottle for thirty nine p in Aldi of dill or 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 oregano uh, or something like that. Okay, they were really expensive. So tithing their spices was important. Jesus says, yes, tithing is important, but it wasn't as important as mercy, justice, and faithfulness. It wasn't as important. Perhaps. It is not surprising that Jesus had the audacity and the brilliance of mind to be able to condense 613 legal statements or laws as written down in the Old Testament to two. Two. He was asked, which is the greatest commandment? Let's read this. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Just imagine for a moment, Just this is a society shaped by uh, an ancient Mosaic law. 613 different laws. And he's asked to summarise it. Which is the greatest one? I mean, this is a real test. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, quoting from Leviticus, love your neighbour as you love yourself. And Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets, that's all of the Old Testament, hang on these two commandments. I think it's fairly clear to see that Jesus was different in the way he handled uh, the Old Testament from other Jewish teachers. His bias, his perspective was so threatening to the religious leaders of his day, um, that they managed to persuade the Romans to put Jesus on a cross, to execute him. He was that much of a threat to them. And sometimes we can miss that. Sometimes we can just think that Jesus is is just like you and me. And actually some of the biases that we see in Jesus' life, many of us don't even have those biases towards the scripture. Like we just take it uniformly and, uh, and we just grasp at different parts of the Bible to justify our position where actually we need to actually look at what Jesus did with the Bible say oh what did Jesus do with this oh yeah he valued mercy, justice and compassion it's not that the law wasn't important but the mercy, justice and compassion were more important and at the heart of it was love I wonder which of these biases that I've talked about this morning surprise you which ones shock you? Which ones have you never thought about before? Perhaps some of them you you would just agree with. You go, yeah, no, I get that. I've always thought that about Jesus. Perhaps there's some in there that you go, wow, I've, I've never thought that about Jesus. Actually, I would have said that was heretical, but Jesus clearly did it. Friends, sometimes we just assume things that were told. And as a church... Um, where we've done that in the past where we have not given you the opportunity to make that decision for yourself I'm sorry where we have made you think oh yeah this is what it is without you questioning it without encouraging questioning I'm sorry our heart moving forwards is to ask more questions than provide more answers we don't want to zip it all up for you like a kind of a ready meal We want you to engage with it yourself. So as a result, we want you to ask questions of me, of any of us uh, who are, are talking from the stage. Ask questions. Um, You might want to email us with questions, you might want to ask questions. We're going to have a a special um, mobile number um, which you can uh, text your questions to. um, And uh, we've we've got a separate SIM card just for that purpose, so uh, you can text your, your questions to that number. Also, if you're at home or if you're here and you've got your phone and you're on Facebook, text your question on the chat okay so if you're at home doing that uh, just to say if you're listening to this and it's not live then you can't put chat on but do use the mobile number and we'd be happy to get back to you we want to be an organization that talks about the difficult stuff that asks questions that helps us wrestle with the difficult stuff um, you know I, i'm at pains at the moment to emphasize to you that um if you are coming out of this lockdown having had a life-changing experience that's caused you to question your faith in god then that's brilliant really brilliant I, I have been questioning my faith in God ever since I was a teenager. Like, I, I want you to encourage you that I think this is a normal part of life. If you've got questions, if you've got doubts, if some days you kind of, you might go one hour and not believing in God, the next hour, oh, I do believe in God. Uh, and then later on in the day, I'm not sure I believe in God. That's normal. It's completely normal. And uh, I want you just to encourage you, you are not, you are not kind of an outlier we all question our faith in God. And I, want to sh- I will show you in, in, in a few weeks' time how Jesus questioned his faith in God as well. But we, it is a normal part of life to doubt, to question, to deconstruct and to try and work it out and to ask questions of your own biases. So I want to just encourage you to do that. I'm going to, I am going to pray. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, actually, I'm sitting there going, I'm not sure I believe in God. That's absolutely fine. It doesn't matter. i just going to ask God to bless us. Uh, with the ability to be honest and to ask the right questions and to, just to pursue to pursue all that God has got for us in our lives so I'm going to pray why don't we just pray together you might want to just close your eyes Holy Spirit I want to thank you for your goodness to us I want to thank you that um, uh, we do sit in privileged positions um, right now not only are the seats nice and comfortable but we live in a free country most of us have jobs not all of us most of us have freedoms, some more than others. Right now, there is much to be thankful for, and today we choose. We choose today, Holy Spirit. to Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that we have in life, all that we are, for life it's, itself. And we pray that you would, um, we pray that you would uh, take our hand and courageously lead us uh, through the journey of life. Like times, just. Deal with us when we're we're kind of deciding we don't believe in you. And deal with us when we decide we do. Uh, I know that you are faithful. Um, I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to choose to believe that you're faithful. And uh, and, and, and I, I don't believe that God condemns us as unfaithful. I believe God just knows the human condition. He knows what it means to have faith. It means to doubt. It means to question. It means to, some days, not sure you believe in God. Other days... I'm absolutely certain there is a God. There's no shame in that. It's part of life. I thank you for your unconditional love, God, that we we might kind of go this way and that it's totally fine. You still love us. You still love us. Thank you for your faithfulness. It's all that really matters. Would you you help us, Holy Spirit, to be questioning, to have courage to question and to have courage to think these things through? Would you help us to live life to the full? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.